0: So Retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
1: Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance.
0: On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine.
1: On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers.
2: And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears.
0: We discuss this and more on Today in History with the Retrospectors. Ten minutes every Hello Man fans, Olly Man here, the sun is out, and we have the monthly magazine show for your ears. Here's what's coming up.
3: God, really January February yeah, were yeah, bleak it this was year. Bleak. The only positive thing I could think was this may be the worst January and February we ever need <laughs> to have.
0: Bedtime stories, social stalking and sugar. Stuart Goldsmith and Tom Price are back to chew the fat on another year of being a Dad.
1: I would argue that faking an orgasm in almost every scenario has a detrimental effect.
0: Alex Fox keeps it real in the bedroom and Ollie Peart takes to the skies. It's all to come in this edition of The Modern Man. But first, your letters, and thank you for all of your enthusiasm to last month's middle feature with Rosie, who survived an attack at the hands of a crocodile. Or should that be at the jaws of a crocodile? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Barnes tweeted us at The Modern Man to say, Congratulations, Ollie. You have now broadcast two of the most extraordinary, compelling interviews I've ever heard. Rosie name-checked the other one, uh, your episode Lost at Sea. Us Man fans want Rosie Mitchell and Brett Archibald to meet. Make it happen. Uh, I don't know if that's overstepping my brief, really, Barnes, as an interviewer. I'm not sure it's my role to kickstart an african support group for people who have had traumatic experiences of open water Uh, but i am very pleased that both episodes kept you at the edge of your seat Uh, rosie herself has emailed me this week too Um, You may have deduced she's quite an ebullient person. She's emailed me already about four times (laughs) since last month. Uh, And she says, "Ollie, I want you to know that last weekend I ran a 54 kilometres insanely hard mountain trail race in Cape Town. 13 hours and 22 minutes later, I finished coming down the final super, super steep ravine. For the times when a super steep ravine is not enough. Off Table Mountain in the dark. Only 11 women finished, of whom I was one, and I was the oldest female finisher by about 15 years. Now I feel invincible. Now you feel invincible, Rosie. Like you survived a crocodile attack. Seriously, that will do. (laughs) But uh, anyway, well done you. Um, And uh, well done everybody who has sampled my and producer Matt's new podcast, The Retrospectors. Have you done that yet? If you haven't, please do it now. The Retrospectors, R-E-T-R-O-S-P-E-C-T-O-R-S. Pause this show now, press back in your podcast app, and please find The Retrospectors and click follow or subscribe or whatever. Partly because, actually, uh, your download numbers will assist us in our quest to find advertising, (laughs) regardless of whether you listen. But please do listen, because we're really proud of it. We really love it. It's a really fun show. It is a daily History hit, but it's not as dry as some of the other On This Day in History podcasts. It's good fun. Uh, Every day, you really learn so much trivia. Um, Just this week alone, we've um, uncovered the first Englishman to be deported from America, uh, the invention of the Hawaiian pizza, and the genesis of the crazy frog. It's like all human life is there, with the boring bits taken out. Please try us. Add us to your daily routine, 10 minutes a day, the retrospectors. Go get it. Um... Now, partly because, actually, we've been launching that new show recently, I've been doing a little bit more self-googling than I would normally do. I don't mind admitting. I was looking to, you know, see if anyone had written a review of the podcast uh, on the internet um, or sort of mentioned that it was happening. And I found a link to a song on Spotify by Terry Pedestrian and The Crossing. And the song is called Will Ollie Man Ever Listen to This in a Car? Oh, Ollie Man drives his car every day. Ollie drives to work where he stays. Ollie drives home where he plays. He drives here. He drives there. Ollie man. Drives his car everywhere. Now I think you'll agree it's not quite record of the month standards, but I bring it to your attention because I just Couldn't understand what was going on here. Like There was a lot to unpack. Um, I mean, Terry, I presume you're a Man fan, which is why you recorded this. The album that this is part of is called Songs I Made for United Kingdom Podcast People While I Had the Flu. Uh, So thanks. It did make me smile. I haven't listened to it in a car yet. Um, But what I found completely baffling was why would you make this song and then not tell me about it for five years? That just didn't make any sense. The album's from 2016. Why would you go to all the bother of writing like composing and singing and then uploading a song about me and then not telling me that it existed, waiting for me to find it. So um, I looked down the track list of the rest of Terry's album and I noticed it's full of like dozens of other songs, very similar songs for other podcasters, as like Ellis James and John Robbins, Helen Zaltzman, Never heard of her. Uh, and also I noticed on the list there's a song for Stuart Goldsmith. So uh, later on the show you will hear what happened when I played Stuart his song Uh, and in return he gave me a fascinating insight into a world that I never knew anything about so look out for that Uh, right also this month you will learn what a box fresh aeroplane seat costs you'll learn what the red umbrella symbol stands for and you'll learn why you shouldn't watch Indiana Jones with a five-year-old let's go Right, time for the zeitgeist. Your trends tested with a man who has some news that, frankly, belongs in another part of the show, the middle feature, really, today, but I'll let you get away with it, Ollie Pitt. You are going to be a dad. I am. Yeah, this wasn't me telling him for the first time. He told me, and then I'm just presenting that news to you, the audience.
4: But yeah, I'm going to be a dad. (laughs) Um,
0: Congratulations.
4: Thanks. That's weird, though, isn't it, when people say that, I find...
0: Why? Because you feel like you haven't you haven't done anything to deserve done
4: nothing. it. Nothing. I've literally done nothing. In fact, I believe
0: you said to me just just a few months ago when I was talking about my pride at being a father. I think you did say, and I'm quoting here: "You've literally ejaculated into a woman." Is what you said. <laughs> That's what you've done. How does it feel to have someone else say that? Yeah, it's lovely. Especially I mean, that undermines the achievement, doesn't it? Yes,
4: it really does. Can I put in a request to, uh, to listeners wanting to put in challenges that are baby related? It would be really helpful if they somehow linked in with me contacting a PR company for some free shit, because I don't want to have yeah. to buy a load of baby stuff.
0: Um, now, we haven't really got a trend ostensibly to talk about this month because your challenge came from chris in manchester if you'll recall who is a pilot and it was more of an invitation really Uh, he's a man fan and in response to your piss poor attempts to learn microsoft's flight simulator back in april he offered you the chance to try your hand at a real flight simulator what was it like
4: i've never been in a proper flight simulator before so i was genuinely excited and the flight simulator that chris invited me to was actually right next to Media City so where the BBC and ITV have their studios up in Manchester so that was also quite exciting because I, I got to see Coronation Street so that was quite nice I shared
0: a Kit Kat with John Motson in the Holiday Inn Express there <laughs> the kind of celebrity anecdote you don't get from every podcast host there's there's so many shit hotels
4: around there it's unbelievable
0: well the Kit Kat was the one he got free from the Holiday Inn because he was John Motson and he effectively shared it because he was, you know, he was boasting he was like you guys aren't famous enough to get a free Kit Kat but when you've been here enough Sixth floor, free Kit Kat for the Motson.
4: There was nothing to boast about in my hotel. I had my breakfast in a beef eater on my own.
0: That sounds like heaven. Wait till you're a father. <laughs> <laughs> you can pay good money for that experience. Anyway, right, so yes, yeah, what yeah, happened? Yeah.
4: So I walked in and they'd, they'd done up their waiting room like the inside of a plane. So there was loads of like aeroplane seats there. And I was greeted by one of the brothers that, that runs the place, Uh The Russell brothers, he was telling me about these these aeroplane seats because I was like, this is cool, there's aeroplane seats here. And he went, yeah, these new are $20,000 each. Who knew how much an aeroplane seat is? $20,000 for an
0: aeroplane seat? I'm not surprised by the news in a way because there are basically just two suppliers of aeroplanes in the world, aren't there? So I guess it's a bit of a closed shop, right?
4: Well, you cottoned onto that much faster than I did because I was thinking, why are they so much? That's ridiculous. And then, yes, he told me exactly what you just said in that. There's not many people that make aeroplane seats There's in aeroplane parts. Yeah. And they actually had, around the whole place, they just sort of had bits of bits of aeroplane. Okay, but
0: why do they bother making it all glam if this is a pilot training facility? I mean, Chrisy Manchester is a pilot who's on furlough at the moment, isn't he? Why is he going? Like, he's not going to be impressed by an old airline seat, is he?
4: They've made it look like that, with all the seats and stuff, for the public. You don't have to be a pilot to go in. You can sort of pay, as like a, like a red letter day, you can go in and go and do it.
0: Okay, so because I thought this was a special invite just for pilots.
4: No, although it is good enough to train pilots and pilots do refreshers there. They sort of, you know, trying to keep up their hours and that kind of thing and just, you know, brush up because a lot of pilots have been grounded for quite a long time, uh, not flying, including Chris. When they all get back in those planes, that's not a day you want to go with flying, is it? No, that's a serious point, isn't it?
0: You'd, You'd actually really hope that that training had been kept up in some way. This is it. Do you need any basic knowledge, or you can just go with knowing nothing?
4: Well, I knew nothing, and I went in, and I was put in charge of an Airbus A320, I think it was.
0: (laughs) You never hear a pilot say that. (laughs) Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome on board the Airbus A320, I believe.
4: They always seem to know what to say, which is... Commendable,
0: But you didn't have to make an announcement.
4: No, there wasn't even a tannoy, which is really annoying. Although, I did find out that aeroplanes have a horn and windscreen wipers, which is quite cool. Uh, so I've got to press okay. the... This is fun, but this is like the Magi's <laughs> Do You Know
0: version. I want to know what actually happened. So you sat in the plane, and then what? Like, are you, can you feel the resistance on the steering wheel? Well,
4: hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Right, but first of all, there ain't no plane. It is literally a big black box, right? Looks like a shipping container on some huge hydraulics. And the Russell brothers, these two guys, have built this thing from scratch. It's called Simulator Adventures. So it's not actually
0: that different to the simulator at a theme park. Like, it's it's on hydraulics and it's in a black box. I mean, that's what those things are, isn't it? That's what Star Tours is, right?
4: Yeah, the, the, the sort of th- those mechanics of it, yes. But when you get inside, it is technically, in almost every way, exactly the same as it would be if you got on board a, a, a real... A three twenty. All of the displays and everything are, are are replicas. It's not like they've got the a, a cockpit and they've sort of chucked it in. There's um, a guy in the UK that specialises in making replica components for hobbyists and enthusiasts and also these simulator setups. But for them to get accreditation so that they can, you know, train a pilot, there's certain bits of it that they have to have that are genuine. And one of them is a joystick. The whole thing is operated by a joystick. There's no steering wheel, yoke thing. It's, it's a joystick.
0: But in a real plane, there is a steering wheel thing. No, no, there? no. I'm sorry, my vocabulary is not up to it. What's the thing they hold on to? What's the thing that jutters and sputters? That's a joystick. A joystick
4: in an A320. So when you hop on your EasyJet flight, they don't have a steering wheel. They've got a little joystick. They, they have a little joystick, and it's just there. Just, just the captain sits on the left hand side. An A three twenty, an Airbus is all this. It's fly by wire. There's no, nothing sort of connected. It's all done electronically. I mean, you'd
0: never had any training before. No. What did they tell you before? Like, how seriously do they take it? Because you were saying, like, with, with Microsoft Flight Simulator, the first thing you do is crash it into a building on purpose. yes I, I presume they had no time for that kind of japes.
4: <laughs> there was no time for that kind of japes. Uh, but Chris was great. He was he he was literally like, well, we we'll. We'll start, we'll take off, you know. And he he took me, before we went in, he talked me through a diagram of all of the buttons and stuff.
0: He's a fan of the show, isn't he? He is. Was he excited to meet you?
4: Uh not as excited as I had hoped. I think I was more excited to meet him. <laughs> well, quite right. Yeah, yeah. He's a pilot. Like, it, what do you do? No, genuinely, yeah. I, sit in your
0: house and talk about what other people do. Well, this is
4: the thing. Like, I was genu- I was genuinely like, oh, I'm going to meet a pilot, and a pilot is going to show me yeah. how to fly an airplane. So I was more excited than he was. Uh, I was just trying to understand the
0: power balance. You know, was there an cause on Because on the one hand, I was thinking, like, you're taking his life in your hands. You're the pilot here. Mm. You know, you're controlling an aircraft that could spiral out of control at any minute, killing everyone on board. On the other hand, he might be thinking, I've got podcasting's Olly Pitt here. You know, this is like, it's
4: like carrying the Veep. I think being a pilot, part of your sort of mindset has to be that you're just, you're just calm under pressure. So if yes. he did feel any kind of pressure, which I doubt he did because I'm the least intimidating person in all of the world.
0: He used to fly for Thomas Cook. So I mean, he must have dealt with passengers that have, you know, been at the Wetherspoons before they get on the plane. Like you must have been quite an easy comparative cargo.
4: So he showed me, showed me all the buttons... On this diagram, uh, which I immediately forgot. So then we just went into the in, into the flight simulator. And you get in, the close of the door, and Chris sat on the right, got a little screen there, and he can program it all in, all the weather and stuff. You've got a big screen in front of you. And we started off at the bright lights of East Midlands Airport. Uh, although I made a request to change that, and uh, we started in Southampton. So, <laughs> Oh, so you did do the journey of your dreams? <laughs> what was it, Southampton South- to to Bournemouth? <laughs> Bournemouth. Yeah, it's is that what you did? It's like forty miles. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, actually, what we did, we did it in chunks because you can, because you, you know, you're, you're in a simulator. The whole point of it is that you can do all the technical bits and you don't have to do any of the sort of just boring. I'm just in the air. So there was a, like, there was no point in me going there for an hour and just going. Okay, well, let's just point it to Bournemouth and just sit here for an hour. Yeah, but it's effectively
0: like playing karaoke, isn't it? I mean, you can choose anywhere. in the, Why wouldn't you like take off from Las Vegas and land in Abu Dhabi? What? I don't understand.
4: We, well. We we took off from Southampton first. That's where I was, I was getting used to it, and uh, and it and it was actually unbelievable. You know, you're in a box on some hydraulics, mm. right? Mm. But the thing that kind of got me because he he sort of set it up a bit, and it kind of jiggled around just a little bit. And you got the throttle to to the right, but the co-pilot does the throttle because the the captain's concentrating on steering the thing, right? And you do it. All by the screen. He's like, you, you you, look at the screen and there was a, a cross. So it's like um, a yellow line and a yellow line. And you basically have to try and make sure that you're, you keep the thing centered as much as possible. Anyway, when he put the throttle on, you know the feeling you get when you, you take off. It pushes you back. In yeah, your the G's. Yeah, it did yeah. that. And I was like, how the hell did it do that? I still can't work this out. It's a box on hydraulics. I do not understand how a box on hydraulics in an industrial estate in Manchester could make me feel like I was accelerating in a jet.
0: But it did. Well, it's a ride, isn't it? Your brain fills in the rest, doesn't it? It's an optical illusion. I mean, it's like a roller coaster, isn't it? You know, you look at it from the outside, it doesn't look like it's going that fast. And when you're on it, you're like, ah! Yeah, but you were so dismissive. <laughs> it was like, I can't, I, it was
4: so real. Yeah, I'm you
0: were like, no, nah, that's your I'm brain filling You asked me, how does it work? I'm saying that's how it works. It's an optical illusion, isn't it?
4: Well, it was an incredible one, and then when you eventually sort of take off and you're in the air, it was like, oh my god, I'm I'm in an aeroplane and I'm flying this aeroplane.
0: Which means what? Just like nudging the joystick with a great amount of care.
4: Nudging the joystick with a great amount of care. Yes, I do have a, 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 a newfound respect for pilots if I didn't respect them enough already. In that I was concentrating so hard on just keeping the the bloody thing straight in that in that screen, and mm. you know controlling the joystick and just making sure i don't go and smash into Eastly or whatever
0: but actually presumably keeping it straight that's just about keeping everyone on board feeling comfortable isn't it it's not even like you're still going to go to your destination whether there's turbulence or you're flying slightly at an angle right because the computer's telling you where to go isn't it it's just so that you feel all right
4: yeah the computer's telling you where to go but you will uh, and, and this is the other thing there's there's so many other screens and monitors and bits going on the whole sort of job i suppose is that you're constantly checking that everything's okay. So you're sort of going, you know, have we got any weather coming up? If we have, we'll go around that. Is an engine about to blow up? Have we got enough fuel? It's just a a constant monitoring job. And he was completely upfront about it. The majority of the time, they're just on autopilot. You know, these things can basically fly themselves completely yeah but
0: the training is so that when the autopilot doesn't work that's when you can kick in isn't it yeah
4: that's what I suppose I, I admire the most because when Chris was when when I was flying Chris was literally just going yeah we'll just do that we'll just pop that in there that means that we're here okay we'll just set the coordinates to that that and that okay if we'll you just keep an eye down and I'm literally like what I'm I'm just turning left you know, I have no uh, clue of, as to what else is going on. So it was, it was really cool, and it was. I was just amazed at how much I felt like I was in a plane.
0: I mean, this would be a cool experience anyway at any time of the year. And actually, now I realise it's actually open to the public. This is a legitimate trend for you to investigate, isn't it? But right now, at the moment, having had the fifteen months that we've all had, you know, it's exciting, isn't it, to leave your town and go to Primark at the moment. <laughs> So the idea of actually being on a plane is exciting. Never mind flying the thing. Like, it's it really elevates it at the moment. It's fantasy stuff, isn't it?
4: Yeah, yeah, it is. And we didn't just stay in uh, Southampton, because I think Chris was getting a bit bored, and he was like, should we go to New York? Um, right, thank you. That's exactly, that's why I didn't understand. Why would you, you live in Bournemouth? Like, if someone, you know, came from
0: Luxor, i understand why they might want to go to Bournemouth. But I mean, you could see out of your window, you could choose to see the Grand Canyon, the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. No, I just want to see Eastleigh. I mean, it's just <laughs> weird. So did you go to New York?
4: Yeah, yeah. I took off from New York. And uh, this was really lovely, actually, because Chris has taken off and, and landed at New York loads of times. And he was sort of just telling me the like, little quirks of uh, what it was like to sort of fly in and out of there. And if you remember when we did our episode in New York, do you remember how long it takes to get When you get on the plane, how long it takes before you take off?
0: I do, although uh, a funny side note to that is that um, despite the fact that I'd direct messaged Norwegian Airlines and tried to get an upgrade for us because we were such important podcasters on their flight in (laughs) return for some promotion, (laughs) the seat that they gave us didn't even have a window. So I was just looking at you, The whole I couldn't see anything. We we somehow managed to find a seat in economy that was at the back not in an aisle
4: and didn't have a window it was the
0: shittest they might as well put us literally in the baggage hole
4: it was literally the worst seat in the world wasn't it I I seem to remember flying back as well there was that guy that literally just put his hood on when he got on the plane he put his hood on didn't take it (laughs) off for six and a half hours like who's this guy anyway uh, but yeah but you sit on the you sit on the tarmac for ages and then it takes you about 15 hours to actually get to, to take off and he was saying yeah that's just a normal thing in JFK that's just what happens this is it's how it because is because of the holding
0: pattern because it's yeah, so popular yeah there's
4: so many planes flying in and out not at the moment obviously and
0: winds I guess as well like being close to the ocean like it's closer isn't it to the ocean than, than Heathrow is for example
4: yeah it is but the one th- I'll tell you the thing though that people do actually request and want and I found this really interesting have you ever seen the film Sully
0: he lands on the Hudson right he lands on
4: the Hudson it's the story of that plane that crashed on the Hudson River starring Tom Hanks but It was a very specific thing that happened to that plane, which is why it was such a compelling story. And people actually go to the the brothers at this flight simulator and request that. So they will say, I want that exact incident to happen to me to see if I can crash land in the Hudson. And they try and do it.
0: Right, I suppose I should uh, tell you what your challenge is for next month then, shouldn't I?
4: Yeah, yeah, do it.
0: It comes from Anna in Ealing, who's contacted us via the feedback form at modernmanwithtwoends.co.uk, 2 And she says, last week, the bin men didn't take our rubbish. Oh, God. Um, this sounds like a small issue, she says, but we do live in a block of flats. And within a day, it was piling up in every corridor. And this got me thinking. I thought I was good with waste. But how good could I really be? And how good could Ollie be? What I'm taking this to be is is essentially a zero-waste challenge for you, which is a trend, isn't it? Like, can you make better use of the things you normally throw away?
4: Well, hang on. Yeah. Well, I was going to... We need, some, we need some, some clarity here. I'd like some ground rules.
0: Well, how good could Ollie be, is what Anna has said in, in her challenge. I think that's a ground rule, isn't it? How good can you be, Ollie? All the waste that leaves your house, that's a ground rule for you, isn't it?
4: What if it's just like... It's not reusing. It's it's just not buying it in the first place.
0: I want you to be sweeping the floor with your hair clipping. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, we should thank our sponsors, Manscaped.
4: The only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming.
0: And they have just launched their performance package, which is, of course, as we all know, the perfect gift for Father's Day. <laughs> Imagine surprising dad with a box that says, your balls will thank you, and uh, inside, something to trim... His pubis.
4: Yeah, also his nose. Dads have very, very hairy noses. So you could get him the weed whacker, which comes in the package.
0: Yeah, what an ear and nose hair trimmer that is. Waterproof with a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system, folks.
4: Yeah, which sounds dangerous, but it is actually brilliant.
0: (laughs) Where do you keep yours? I mean, that is a powerful nose trimmer. You don't want to just leave that lying around.
4: No, keep it in the toolbox, Ollie Man. Keep it in with the hammers and the chisels. That's where I keep my nose trimmer.
0: You can get 20% off and free shipping when you use the code MAN. That's M-A-N-N at manscaped.com.
4: That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code MANNN. And I've proved how important balls are. I have fathered a child with my mm. shiny nuts.
0: Wow, you might never have become a father were it not for the fact that the Lawnmower 3.0 had been uh, gliding around those. I nearly said beauties there, but it was just pure colloquialism. Mm. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, happy Father's Day, everybody. Uh, Coming up, we're going to carry on with this fatherly theme because I will be talking to Tom and Stu. It is our annual How To Be A Dad special. But first, it's time for our record of the month, and it's the brand new single from James. I know, they're back. It's called Beautiful Beaches. It's taken from the album All The Colours Of You. Love a bit of James. Better. we don't have many traditions here at The Modern Man, Uh, basically only two. At Christmas time, Alex will make Ollie and I imbibe some form of sex liquid. Uh, And the other tradition is, annually, since we began the show in 2015, we always do an episode in which I reunite with the comedy podcasters Tom Price and Stuart Goldsmith and we compare notes on fatherhood. Uh, To recap, we all have five-year-old boys who spookily were born within a few days of each other Uh, Tom had an older boy as well, Wilfred, who is nearly nine now. Uh, Stuart, since then, has now had a younger girl, uh, who's now two and a half. And now I've also got a toddler, Toby, who's 22 months. Um, So you're all up to speed. (laughs) You don't need to have heard our previous encounters. But if you'd like to, uh, you can catch up with the whole saga at modernman.co.uk slash dads. Uh, Now, last time in our episode, How to Be a Dad in Lockdown, it was May 2020. So we understandably focused on the pandemic and how it was going to change our parental lives. And Tom, in particular, was putting quite a happy face on it back then. So this time I started by asking him if after a year of homeschooling, closed attractions and COVID tests, he still felt the constraints of the coronavirus had had a positive effect
2: on his family life. I stand by that, sorry. I know you want me to be all sort of, oh, God. But I I feel like this thing, in terms of, obviously, very strictly in the context of my parenting, will be a positive thing. I feel like, you know, we've spent so much time with the kids that at no point am I going to be tragically sitting there thinking, I wish I hadn't worked quite so hard. I wish I'd seen more of my kids. I will know forever and ever that for that year, I saw nothing but my Mm. fucking children.
3: When it all first kicked off, I read that Spanish flu lasted four years. So I immediately calibrated myself for four years. Now we're about a year and a half into that four years. So we're. Yeah.
1: well, that's we're, what we're Well, to right man, now, listen,
3: I, I, I am preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. It was always my fear that when I had children, as a self employed stand up, uh, when I had children, I would have five years to get off the circuit and be successful enough not to need to go to Nottingham on a Tuesday night for 120 quid or something, you
0: know? What about for the kids, though? Because we were saying a year ago, they're so adaptable because they're kind of under 10. You know, they're going to never know any different or remember any different. And, you know, it's just like any kind of traumatic event, incredibly, that can happen to children at that age. There's an incredible built-in resilience. Well, that's kind of true. But, like, I look at my own kids and with the younger one, Toby, who's not even two yet. Like, for example, he Mm. has never been to a soft play. Now I know that like before soft plays closed I thought of them as hell on earth And they were obviously full of germs But he's a kid that climbs up onto the sofa And jumps six foot in the air That's what he loves doing and it feels like a real deprivation.
3: The biggest thing on my mind in terms of the welfare of my children, the girl has been precisely that. (laughs) It's all the baby stuff, it's all the stuff I kind of slightly derided as parental suicide prevention. You know, get the new parents out the house, get them to baby groups, baby sensory, all of that stuff. She wasn't a baby, but she missed out on ballet and dance lessons, that kind of stuff, she really
2: missed out on it. It's difficult, I feel for, for you guys with younger ones, because that first sort of, certainly the first year, I've got friends who've just had babies at the beginning of lockdown, and they haven't done any of the things. That must be all so the things, hard. man. When you meet, you meet your network, who we still lean on now. Certainly with the, our eldest, you know, we made friends then who we're still pals with now. Who, who my eldest is still friends with now. So you are not getting that grounding, and it's it's more about teaching parents to say it's like when you get a dog, you know, socialising the dog is important, but it's more about the owners getting to know each other and getting to know how to sort of network and get that support group. Um, not the first time i've compared uh, parenting with owning a dog what
0: about like other fundamental experiences like you know seeing their grandparents my, my youngest did not meet his grandparents for a year
3: again we've managed to get a positive out of that whereby my son now has what he like he insists on a private chat uh with granny sue or granny ali whereby he gets on whatsapp and you set it up and it's a bit eggy and then we realize very early on in the year I was like, do you want me to not be here? Yeah. Do you want he's like, yeah, I yeah. want a private chat. And then you go away and you sort of listen at the door, and they're reading each other's stories and actually developing a relationship, which I think they would have been hard pressed to have that one-on-one time without the fact that it's we're sort of everyone's mucking in to make yeah. it special. And yesterday, um, my son started having a, a private chat with Uncle Bob, my brother. And I've got a tripod for the camera and angled it down. He was showing him a a farm that he was building on Duplo and just talking him through. I'm going to put the sheep there. And my brother's very gamely going along with it.
0: I'm actually really glad you mentioned that because I'd forgotten that this is the thing that sprung up directly because of the pandemic. But it's now like a crucial part of Harvey's life with his relationship with his grandmother, my mum, Karen. She's been babysitting him through FaceTime for sometimes like 90 minute stretches It's illegal mate (laughs) where are you (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. whilst we've been going to the pub no it gives a space to like make dinner for example and you can hear them playing and yeah he puts her like under the bed and takes her into a den and she's really playing it's not a conversation it's actually playing and and taking her into physical
2: spaces she couldn't otherwise yes
3: which actually... That's great. We, that has raised the bar for both uh, of my son's uh, grandmothers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think we're, we're glossing it over. You know, it has been heartbreaking. It's been really heartbreaking at times, especially my youngest, Edmund, when he hasn't been able to see grandma and granddad. He really loves them. My uh, mother-in-law does a thing where um, she tickles his back when he goes to bed and just gently tickles his back and it makes him go to sleep. And he mentioned several times, he was like, I wish grandma was here to tickle my back. And you can't, a video call doesn't replace that. So there has been some really horrible moments like that where you're just like we, we're not going to see when are we going to see them not for months it's not for ages and you, you have to kind of tell them yeah. that truth and and I hate it I really really that's probably the thing actually that I hated the most they're not seeing their, their grandparents I found that really difficult I think
3: one of the things I had to be careful of and I sort of already touched on it I was bringing a lot of anxiety and and fear to the table that they didn't need. They are resilient, and they don't know any different. So when my son had his birthday, he had his fifth birthday, and he had it sort of alone, so we wanted to give him a really special time, and we did... And it was, t- for me, it was tinged with tragedy, but it wasn't for him. No, because he's never
0: been to a- his own fifth birthday before.
3: Yes. Well, exactly. And uh, my wife had sort of organised with loads of local mates. Everyone had put signs with his name in their window. And so we went on a walk and kind of looked at all the houses and people <laughs> would pop out to their doorsteps. Again, it was more yeah. special mm than going to a party, listening to pop music for two hours, having loads of sugar and falling over. It was really memorable and beautiful. All
0: three of our sons were born in December-January time, which is pretty bleak to have a solo birthday. Like, I do think if it was May or June... God, January and February were bleak this year.
3: (laughs) I was trying to... The only positive thing I could think was this may be the worst January and February we ever need (laughs) Yeah, it's the
0: Nadir, isn't it?
3: brackets four years question mark brackets C's burn in 30 <laughs> years whatever but for now as parents of small children it probably won't be worse than no. that.
0: let's talk about school then because our kids uh, all ten five five this year all started school in September 2020 Stuart, you were saying last year you were concerned that your son, because he's not into, quote, football and Fortnite, might struggle. How did that pan out?
3: Well, absolutely not an issue at all. But I'm still concerned that it will be an issue when they get out of reception and when it becomes more like there are little things like there's a there's a girl it's not quite I think it might be brownies. There there are rumblings on the reception WhatsApp that some of the girls are gonna start going to brownies. And I'm like, let's not start segregating them now. <laughs> because lots of his friends are girls. There are there are some boys in his class who've got older brothers and are a bit more physical than my son. And I just don't I just kind of it's lovely that they're all together. Like he's basically having an absolutely fantastic time at school. I've got nothing to complain about. Um my wife did a just a stellar job of t- I mean this is a naked boast. She basically taught him to read and his reading age is incredible. And like they on they had a, one of the last things they did on Zoom for school was any kid in the school could read a book on Zoom to to everyone else who bothered to tune in on the school. And my son was the only one from reception that did, and people are still talking <laughs> about it. It's just, do you know, they're all like, my son is being made an example. No, like, not made an example of, but like, they're all, hey, why don't you, you know, that guy is, you know, Boutros, we call him for, and to anonymize him, Boutros is, uh, he's really into reading, and other kids are sort of getting inspired and getting into reading because of my, because <laughs> of my Disney movie narrative
0: arc, but. The reading and writing actually is secondary to happiness, isn't it? I mean, that's the thing. Because I remember talking to you, Tom, about choosing a school for my son a couple of years ago on the yeah. show. And, of course, that's important... But actually, like, it is just so much more important that they're happy to go into school. That's the thing that pulls at your heart every day, yeah, isn't it? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Oh, my God. He, only this morning when I dropped him off and, and just that last moment he turns around, just just gone past Miss O'Driscoll and looks at me. Bye, daddy, See you later. Bye, daddy. Love you. It's just like, yes. I skip away. Yeah. I, sca- I double skip away. I have a guilt-free day Guilt-free now. day. And there's, you know, I'm still haunted by the occasional dropping my eldest off at nursery and seeing you know him weeping because he didn't want to go years and years ago. So yeah, it is really nice and yeah absolutely right like educationally it doesn't really uh, i was gonna say it doesn't matter of course it matters but you've just got to get them enjoying going in and it is just a big uh, reception certainly is just a lot of playing it gets harder year 2 is is a, is a bit harder especially i remember that but he has also you've got to kind of lay the stuff in front of them and let them discover it and when they eventually pick up that thing whether it's reading and writing or drawing or whatever it is and then it's great but you can't push it on them i don't think and and edmund has really discovered he really got into drawing about two months ago and now he draws every day and then in the last week he's just started writing stuff he just writes these sentences it's complete gobbledygook it's just letters but he's he like turns to you and goes daddy do you want to read my story and i'm like I mean, it's literally just a bunch of letters. It's like someone's mashed the keyboard. And I'm kind of like, oh, this is... So once upon a time... No, that's not how it starts. Oh, okay, no. How does it How does it start? Uh, so it's, it's very hard to kind of interpret what he said. How do you adjust your level of praise in that situation, by the way?
0: Like when my kids give me something to evaluate that is essentially mediocre to bad, yeah. do I say Don't. that's wonderful, because it is wonderful that they're trying, or do I say Sorry. that's wonderful when it's genuinely wonderful, which is one yeah, in 20 times?
2: wonderful.
3: No, no, no. What you do is... You say, you say, you've really concentrated hard on that. Yeah. Right. Yes, hard. proud is there good. Pride ways, is are, such a strong thing, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. And there are, I think, there are ways to really big them up for trying without yeah. making it clear that you're like nice. You try. Can do. <laughs> I, <laughs> <Excuse> <laughs> think that looks
0: like a tractor, do you? <laughs> Look out the window. It <laughs> looks nothing like it.
2: It's like an egg on wheels. There's always that slightly uh, the scary pile of, uh, of of drawing and writing that is. Uh, we call it maturing like a fine wine as it as it makes its way towards the recycling bin and we sort of yeah, we leave right. it in a pile what do you do with it uh, I mean, it's like
0: throwing away a bible isn't yeah. it because you're like my child did this yeah. if some you know god forbid if something terrible happened to my child this would be such a precious memory and yet, I have fifty of these bad pictures of tractors, I mean, and right now I don't need fifty. Yeah, dub- what do I do? Do I put them in the archive in case one day they are valuable? Yeah, I, you rotate you, them. You've got, you got yeah. to
2: take. You've got to take out a few. You've got to take out a few, and those survive in the archives, and the rest have got you've got to pulp. You've got to be absolutely brutal.
0: The other thing that. Is interesting about sending your kid to school for the first time is that you sort of assume when your kid goes to school, you're going to build a network of parent friends at the if school. Don't
2: bother with the second. Don't
0: bother with the second. You don't bother with no. the second because you've already got them from it's the got, first, yeah. right? It made me realize we had actually made a mistake enrolling our son in a private nursery for so long because the school has a pre-reception class that you can send your kids to before they start reception, and all the parents were already mates from that. And all the kids were already mates from that. They had their own clique. They had their own WhatsApp group that it took me six months to permeate. So I don't know if that's like an applicable tip, but like send your kids yeah, that's definitely, to the nursery at the really, school. We
3: we did that. It wasn't the nursery at the school, but it's it's so local to it that there's a big intake yeah. from there. And as a result, yeah, we definitely met lots of parents. That's a, that's a huge tip. I think that's really important.
2: i tell you a good bit of advice that someone gave me is don't make any plans for pickup. So when you get the kids at 3.30... Yes. Don't be like, right, we've got to go because we've got to do a thing now. Just hang around, and you will always see a couple of people going off to a nearby playground. <laughs> Follow them. And, 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the thing you have to, um, you have to do. Like, I was walking home, and I had no plans. It was just me and Edmund Wilford was off somewhere else. And some friends of his who I don't know that well were going to the nearby playground. And I heard them talking about it, and he hadn't heard. And I was like, Noah's going to the playground. Do you want to go with Noah? Yeah. And he was like, amazing. And then we had this 45 minutes at the playground. And then I got to know those parents. Yeah. Much, much better, because we chatted and complained about our kids together. So I, I would say people, people over-plan stuff. Don't be so rigorous. We were in the playground the other day doing exactly that.
0: We, we hadn't followed some people home from school. <laughs> we had been invited to go along. and Social stalking, guys. Uh, <laughs> and um, someone turned up from that private nursery who he hadn't seen for a year because he'd gone to a different school down the road. And he came in and he went like, Arlo, I haven't seen you. And he went running over to and he introduced him to his new friends and he said, everyone, this is my old friend, Arlo. I was like, that's amazing. That's That's exactly how a sort of 70-year-old man would introduce him (laughs) at a gentleman's club. (laughs) Uh. My
3: old friend. (laughs) The things we did together. I'm really lucky because I'm an outgoing chatty wanker. So I have spent all of the. I mean, I really make an effort and I know loads of people's names. I know their kids' names and their parents' names. And I'm probably a bit much. And actually, this is, has this come up for you? My son has told me that he doesn't like it when I talk to other kids in the queue like I'm, oh, a, really? I'm a bit fun and outgoing yes. and yeah. he uh, i'm a bit fun i mean you know for, for <laughs> listeners i imagine the majority of your listeners won't have met me and yeah. if they didn't already loathe me by now i'm a bit fun <laughs> has probably just finished that off but he because he's me, jealous of you because he, he wants you're his yeah. daddy yeah. yeah 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 i confronted oh, him about oh, it i, th- and th- it's I, interesting. I
0: assumed him. embarrassed like don't talk to my friends no, no i think that. it's
3: I, no, I talked to him about it and I said, it was absolutely beautiful. I said, is it like, I, I just like chatting it's not taking it doesn't mean I love you any less because I'm chatting to them Well, what's going on and he said to me I'm trying to make the most of you before you die wow oh that which is which is wonderful. lovely it's exactly that it's exa- and it's an honest and it's an emotionally intelligent and honest answer
0: it does hint at a troubling kind of all pervasive existentialism which is maybe not the obvious
3: thing do you remember, do you remember he... me saying a few years ago I would say um, we taught him about death do you remember we were chatting about mm. death and I said well we, we say we, they turn into stars your great granny turned into stars and more recently he's kind of understood it we were talking about someone a relative and we said um uh, he said they died and i said that's right mate that's right they turned into stars and he said and then died
0: (laughs) 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 that's interesting the death thing so at the point of uh, time that we're recording this is the day after there was that cable car crash in italy so my son saw that headline on the news yesterday And he came in and he said, oh, they died, that's a shame. And I said, yeah, it is a shame. And I was like reaching for the remote control, thinking we don't need to hear any more details about this right now. Um, And then he said, because we've promised one of the things we're going to do with him is taking on the Emirates skyline thing in London. He said, Mm -hmm. just as well, that doesn't happen to us, otherwise we'd be dead. I was like, yes, but it's never happened (laughs) in Britain. It's unlikely to happen. It's a bit of a freak accident. He's like, yeah, but all those people thought it wasn't going to happen to them, and now they're all dead. I'm Good like, point. God, he's really oh understanding this, and it's kind of... Yeah. Like, on the one hand, I'm he's, like, great, because you've
2: got it, but on the other hand, please
0: don't think about it too much.
2: Yeah, he's a great catastrophist in the waiting. <laughs> That's great news. Congratulations. Yeah. Everyone loves a neurotic.
0: That's the other thing. He enjoys the macabre thing. So, like, he uh, we read right. James and the Giant Peach at bedtime, and for about six mm. months afterwards, he was like, Daddy, yes, like, just apropos of nothing in the middle of the day, Daddy, yes. Tell me how James's parents died. That, they were crushed to death yeah. by an elephant. Anyway, yeah. let's do some Plato. He just loved that detail because <laughs>
3: because he, he's workshopping. Well, it's funny. It's a funny idea, and yeah. you know, fair play to Roll for whatever his other flaws <laughs> that have become apparent since. <laughs> um, you know that idea. That's a deft bit of writing, isn't it? Yeah. The parents, the kids' parents have died, but in a funny way, so it's okay to talk mm. about it. Mm. But also, he's sort of workshopping the idea of death. Tell me again. Mm.
2: You know what what death is. Well, he That's knows it really makes me uncomfortable. That's
0: why with. he's asking me to tell him. <laughs> no, he, no, he does. <laughs> it's like a titillating That's not piece why of he information. Does
2: it. it's, it's not all about you. He's trying to. Explore <laughs> he's he's trying to explore the emotion that's what they're doing at this point they they they're playing with new emotions because that's i guess in terms of evolution they 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 need to learn about fear and learn what fear does to them and learn you know what being scared is like we watched um indiana jones oh god it was so stupid we watched it the other day the with the holy grail at the end when he drinks from the wrong cup oh, yeah. and that guy just oh, ages really quick yeah yeah, 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 do not show that to a five-year-old That's my advice to you, because he didn't sleep properly for about three or four right, nights Yeah. But he enjoyed it And he still likes talking about yes, it And he yeah, likes yeah. playing with the image, because it's a new feeling in his brain And he's, it's like a bit of blue tack. He's rubbing it around and warming it up in his hands all the time
0: It's interesting, sometimes he wants macabre And sometimes he doesn't, so we progressed from James and the Giant Peach To The Witches, and that was too strong for him
2: What about making up stories? How often do you do that?
0: He loves that when I do that, and they I find it really it. Yeah. hard Because I We've talked
3: about this before. I told you the secret of how to make up stories. This has come up before. The secret is you make them do all the work. It's like an improv game. You go, what was behind? So who are we talking about? Yeah. And he'll say, oh, Shrek and and a dragon. And you go, great. And where is Shrek?
2: They love it. They absolutely, they absolutely love it. We we did a makeup story the other night. First, it was the first time in a while, and uh, and then Edmund started writing out a story the next day in his new fetish for writing endless endless sentences. And it was the same. <laughs> it was pretty much word for word. Obviously, the words were nonsense, but he was trying to write exactly the same story. Mm. And that was so I, that was so rewarding. I loved that. I was like, oh my god, are we, it we had really such a nice time doing that because
0: I know the yeah. I know the things he's interested in. So he likes tractors. He likes horses. You know, he he. He lives yeah. in a village, so I try and reference like stuff around us he can relate to. So I know how to like hit the buttons, but then I'm like, but what's the moral? What's the threat?
3: So what are we learning? What you need. Well, okay, two things I would suggest. One, as a game for yourself, let it be a game that you can try and tie things together and make a moral or a thread out of it, because they don't need that, but it's satisfying for you if you manage to pull <laughs> it off accidentally. Mm-hmm. But two, world building. So I do a thing with my daughter where there is a particular little girl character who is sort of loosely a a mix of Pippi Longstocking and uh, the kid off tumbleleaf which is some amazon prime animated thing and i've sort of and and we know where she lives she lives in a pirate ship that's uh up uh, that's in the branches of a tree on top of a cliff and every morning she goes down a helter-skelter slide and her mummy is there and her daddy who's a crow called goose and we've just invented all these kind of characters and now she loves hearing Mm. the same this is storytelling for smaller ones she loves hearing the same things over and over again. So I, she's called Pickle Pie. And I can say, so what what do you want a pickle pie story? What's pickle pie oh, up to She's today? now pitching a see. children's
0: story series on the show as well.
3: <laughs> I googled it and there's already something called Pickle Pie on I mean, Amazon. It's some weird fetish thing and I <laughs> <laughs>
2: Daisy Goodwin's mum was a very famous chef, and uh, she never gave Daisy any sugar. She was really strict on it. Years and years and years ago, quite ahead of the current Mm -hmm. thing for that. And there's a phrase that I read in an article she wrote a couple of years ago that just said, sugar isn't love. That thing of arriving and saying to your kids, I've got for you Here's some Haribo, here's some chocolate, it isn't love. And that was... It really helped us stop doing that because my wife and I were both doing that. We were both turning up at school and going, "Here's some sweets, I love you." Yeah. and we don't do that anymore. I do
0: notice actually the kids whose parents have separated, when the oh, dad yeah. picks up the child, always will stop at the ice cream van. There's an ice cream van like luring the children outside the school every sure day. Isn't love. Every day, queue of divorced dads to give. <laughs> them- <laughs> tell, you tell
2: you what's love, turning them upside down and saying, "We're going to walk home with you upside down all the way home." Like just play a play a stupid game yeah.
0: we should answer some listener questions because we asked for them uh, this is from Neil who says do you have any advice for keeping number one interested and not too jealous of number two have we acted on someone in our group's advice to buy a present for our eldest from the baby yeah that always works yeah, yeah. we went down yeah, a tree yeah.
3: and the other, the other I don't I mean I don't get a sense of precisely how old so new baby new baby, baby girl New baby, new baby. So one of the things that I always remember being told, and that we did, is that whenever anyone comes to the house to see the new baby, they come and meet. They come to see the older kid, hang out with them for ten minutes, and then say, "Have you got someone to show me?" Uh, So then the older kid feels proprietorial over going, "Oh yes, I will now show you my little baby sister." That's good. So we did that. We are lucky in that he's just you know, they just they just get on really well.
0: Yeah, our kids and get on so really of, well. I was actually yeah. prepared for like battle and it hasn't happened yeah. yet. They fight. Uh, is over it lockdown? The odd toy,
2: Do you but... think it's lockdown? Because I ours get on I ridiculously wonder if it well. Is. they adore each other. It's so weird.
3: They've, they've had to be each other's only friends yes. yeah. for a lot of yes. the last year and I think that's that's and I'm, I'm sure there are families where that has been one of the most hellish aspects of the pandemic mm. because the kids haven't got on but ours, no ours absolutely got on with each other
0: Neil has a supplementary question as well which is just how do you get stuff done number one son still wants maximum playtime and the usual guff and number two is permanently fixed to <laughs> mum's boob rendering her captive <laughs> how on earth do you manage to do stuff I have a garden like a jungle and tasks around the house piling up plus a full day job Tom
2: Get Why are you asking done? me? That's the worst message. Just, just resign I think I think the best thing to do is to re- resign yourself first and foremost to not getting stuff done. You are not the efficient machine that maybe you were before you had kids. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, lower your expectations. For God's sake, lower your expectations. And- well,
0: raise your expectations in a different way. We started this conversation by talking about essentially
2: work-life balance and happiness with children, right? Absolutely. So that's the thing. Absolutely. So if you value that who cares about the back garden, rewild it for fuck's sake. Rewild it and go and do some Lego. And also, I would say that, you know, one of the things I really learned during lockdown. Was was partitioning off time with them, which sounds a bit rigorous and timetably, but getting to a point where, like, it's three o'clock, and I will switch my phone off, and I'll be like, for the next hour, this is on a very sort of lockdown day. It's kind of different now, but for the next hour, I'm going to sit with Edmund or whatever, and I'm going to do the Duplo Lego with him just for an hour. And 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 that one hour at the end of it, they're so sated that they. Mm. You know, this, this idea that they're constantly saying, can you, can you, can you, can you, can you? I don't think that's quite true. I think, I think if you give them real quality time in chunks, they do actually get to a point where they're like, actually, I might watch telly for a bit now, and mm. then you can pounce. Sometimes
0: you can take the advice on this show Get creative and then regret it. I mean, I did have your kind of (laughs) excited spirit in my head last year, Stuart, when I decided to do a Hot Wheels hunt around the garden. So he loves Hot Wheels. It was Easter time. He was thinking, oh, we can't do an Easter egg hunt this year. So I went and got a whole lot of Hot Wheels, put them around the garden, Forgot to notice where I'd put them He couldn't find them all And then I just lost five of his Hot Wheels And it was a (laughs) nightmare
3: (laughs) The whole night was tears You just need to change the parameters of the game That's an infinite game You can always be looking for Hot Wheels in your garden And you can always be adding more Hot Wheels to the garden (laughs)
2: The, the place where we're at at the moment is that because one is nine and one is, as, as you know, five, nearly six, I'm doing less. I'm needed less. You know, when, when they are two, three, four, you need to be there the whole time. You are their oxygen. You need to sort them out for toilet, food, nappy, all that stuff. And as they get to this age, they go off and they will play Minecraft together for a bit. They will be happy to watch T V for a bit, and you will suddenly find this these huge chasms of time, by which I mean an hour, where the kids are in the house and they don't need you. They're quite happy. My oldest one's yeah. upstairs doing a thing. My youngest one's watching telly. So so the intensity comes off the boil. And there's consequences to that. The first one is fucking amazing. I've read a book. Um but the second one is it gives you it's 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 been hard. It's hard and you get the the beginnings the first few millimeters of what an empty nest might feel like and it's hmm. it, I, I found that very difficult. Um and it's made you it's made me feel very very anxious and worried. But at the same time it's broadly it's been good. It's validating. Kind of, You've brought up some people who are like capable humans. That's the thing. Yeah, and and they're off doing their own thing and I'm like, do you, do you need me." Uh, do you, no, okay. <laughs> Yeah, and, you, do, and you kind of and you kind of Homer Simpson into the hedge a little bit, and and it's an anticlimax to it where you're like, oh, okay, and this purpose that has been everything for me for the last eight years is coming off the boil a bit, and I'm not complaining about this. I'm just saying it it's put me in a, I'm in a very different headspace at the moment because of it, and that's broadly positive, but it's also got negative things as well.
3: I, I can feel that happening. We got like an Ikea hacker thing. Some guy in Germany sells four bits of wood in the exact shape that you can construct them such that you turn a standard Ikea chest of drawers into a, it turns the top into a baby changing thing. Nice. So we're potty trained now. We don't need nappies anymore. There you go. And we took it off and I threw it away. Yeah. And I went, oh my God, I've unscrewed. I remember building that. Yeah. that was, that's was that been five years. I can't tell you Jeez. how
0: liberating that felt to me. Like all of those things that you're yeah. always wistful yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Bagging stuff up into the
0: charity shop and never having to look at anything made by VTech again is so liberating.
2: As someone took our pram away, I gave it the finger. I hated it that much. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Tom Price and Stuart Goldsmith. They will return for more next year. And they both do excellent podcasts, which you should listen to as well. I've linked to them both on our website. Stuart's is the comedian's comedian, in which he interviews top names in comedy about their technique. Uh, recent guests on that include Russell Kane, Rosie Jones and Greg Jenner And Tom's podcast is called My Mate Bought a Toaster In which celebrity guests reveal to him Their Amazon shopping histories uh, Guests coming up include Les Dennis and Annika Rice And if you look through the archive A certain Mr Ollie Mann Has also contributed to that show as well It's a fun episode, <laughs> do check it out uh, Right, so that is it for this year's Dad Chat But before I let Stuart go There was something else I had to ask him. Do you know who Terry Pedestrian is?
3: Uh sort of person I would know.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to play you a bit of something, uh, Stuart, and you tell me if it rings any bells. Um, it's a song that uh, Teddy Pedestrian and The Crossing have written. It is called Driving Music For You, open brackets, if you are Stuart Goldsmith, close brackets. <laughs> you stumbled across this before, Stuart? Yeah.
3: Ah. Yeah, I have, yeah, I know what this is. What is it? Uh, it's called it's called Keyword Spamming. Um, I'm a keyword, and this guy has an album of uh, songs for people, and if you look on the album, there's 99 other songs, right. and they're all the names of similarly profiled comedians Yes, me. I'm on it, that's and, how I found uh, it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's called Keyword Spamming, and I I mean, I half am annoyed by it and think it's ludicrous, and half of me is like, I mean, nice hustle. You've got to put the work in to make the hustle Go on. Work. So... Um there was someone there's an article about it. This guy realized that people constantly search for things. So if you create things that they search for, you can get the money from a Spotify play. Because there are enough and there are arguably not in my case, I mean but there are arguably enough people out there who would recognise my name and go, Cool, oh, that's odd. And if you multiply that by releasing a million songs, you can make an income off Spotify. What? So the song, the songs are 90 seconds long. But Rick Astley doesn't make words. enough
0: money out of Spotify. Are you honestly telling me that this guy does by monetizing your and my names?
3: Mate, I know, a com- I know a comedian I won't name who plays his own records on Spotify constantly in the background silently and makes 70 bucks a that month.
0: Right. Thank you for explaining it though because I genuinely didn't know what I've been speculating like how has this happened.
3: Yes, yes. I'm sorry. It's a slightly it's a slightly boring answer. That it's keyword spamming. But like I said, half of me sort of resents it, and I'm like, get my name out your mouth, you con artist. And half <laughs> of me is like, yeah, nice hustle, buddy, nice <laughs> hustle.
0: So now you know keyword spamming. So fascinating. Uh, if you have an insight like that into like the secret ways that the internet works. I'm always on the lookout for stories like that. Do get in touch. Uh, drop us a line via the feedback form on our website, modernmanwithtwoends.co.uk. 2 uh, Still to come, a sex worker with performance anxiety. It can only be the foxhole. Um, but first, just a reminder that this show, this production that you are enjoying with your ears, it's free to download. It is not free to produce. Uh, we paid Tom and Stu for that uh, contribution, can you believe? Um, <laughs> we need microphones, we need tech subscriptions, we have travel expenses, and of course we put our time and our energy into making this for you. We are a completely independent production, we are not backed by any um startup cash or corporations or oligarchs. Uh, we rely on you to support this show. So if you enjoy it and you want us to keep making it for you every month, please do buy us a beer. Uh, On a monthly basis, if you can, all your contributions go into making the show. Details of how to make us a secure payment are on our website, modernmanwithtwoends.co.uk. And uh, here's a quick roll call of honour for some of the Man fans who've recently donated for the first time. Uh, Jamie Slater, Tim Griffith, Owen Gould... Aaron Dooley in Denver, Colorado, Uh, Elizabeth McEwen, Mark Chapman, James Evans, who's updated his beer money contributions from yearly to monthly, hallowed be his name, Uh, Alex in Iceland, Judy, and Chris Ashton, a dog walker and formerly a project manager in the electronics industry. Um, You're all incredible people. Thank you. Um, Join them, support us, modernman.co.uk, click beer money. Uh, Right, Alex is up next.
4: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDIC. Time
0: to get your fox off. It's the foxhole with Alex Fox.
1: Hello. Yes, you're back with your favorite boffin when it comes to all things banging.
0: What's been going on in the world of Alex?
1: Well, actually, I have in my hands right now a book which I only received yesterday, so I haven't read it yet. Um, But it's a novel called The Service that has been written by my fabulous friend Frankie Mirren. Uh, It centres around three women and Frankie has told me that one of the side characters is actually loosely based on me.
0: Oh, well, you'll know which one it is because it will be the one with bright pink hair that's wearing a pyjama suit.
1: (laughs) Maybe it will just be the one who's great at puns.
0: Time for your questions of sex brought to you by our friends at thehandy.com.
1: Who make one of the most masterful masturbation machines on the market.
0: And it's from George, who is a gay male in his 30s, who says, I was a sex worker at university and now I have trouble disassociating from the performance parts of sex and just letting go to enjoy it. Any advice?
1: I have received an influx of messages and questions from people who have entered sex work recently. Um, there's a lot more people doing things like OnlyFans or providing mm. webcam services. Lots of people have turned to that over the past year because of the pandemic.
0: That's really interesting because when you say sex work and you know, from George's email, brief as it is, we assume you're talking about a physical hands-on act with someone. But actually now sex work can just mean like everyone else working from home using people, webcams
1: yeah people have different definitions of it some people include stripping for example others don't but there are definitely forms of sex work which are online only but still involve very intimate yes. personal sexual acts mm. uh, and some which are in person i think george's message implies in-person work too uh, but just this week i heard from uh, another guy who says that he's doing online dom work and he too is really struggling with the impact that that that's having on his his natural personal encounters he told me he'd started expecting time limits that weren't there so he was so uh, so he started to kind of watching the clock expecting that somebody's half hour will be, will be up soon he's been starting to consciously think oh what have i done previously that this person has enjoyed and uh, mm. very much treating them like a client if you do any type of sex work Uh, there is a possibility that there'll be some crossover from your professional life into your personal life. What's interesting,
0: I mean, George uses the word performance... Uh, you know I'd I'd go further and say if you do any kind of performance work there's a chance it could bleed over into your other life I mean I often find myself sitting down and chatting to someone and feeling a bit like I'm interviewing them like there's parts of my brain that's thinking what do the audience want to know I'm like what am I doing I'm just having a chat with them in real life I don't need to worry about what the audience want to know
1: Well you make a really good point there which is echoed by Kitty Stryker who is a 37 year old woman who's worked in the sex industry for about 14 years Um, some of this was in person sex work so she did pro domination she was an escort she did live sex shows on stage And then she moved into porn. She's now, like George, stepped back from sex work. And one of the things that she said that she finds kind of useful is to realise that That performative nature of sex, that experience of feeling like you have to perform in the bedroom, Hmm. um, that impression is not unique to one's experience of sex work. Lots of people perform in the bedroom. It's something that's societally tied into sexuality and and sexual experience for a lot of people. It can be
0: easier, can't it? To suddenly get into playing the part of being horny is easier than sort of remaining entirely authentic the whole way through
1: well there are elements of performance which can be fun to indulge you know it can be it can be enjoyable to to take on a role or to do something knowing that it will impress or turn on your partner but it is really important to make this distinction between performing that you're leaning into because you're genuinely enjoying it or performance that you are trying to live up to because it's a learned behaviour or something that society has told you that you need to do. Um- yeah, but
0: then there's probably some things that is still useful to do. I mean, faking an orgasm is the one that's, that comes to mind. I suppose there are some people that think, yes, this is performative. Yes, this isn't authentic. But because it's pleasing my partner, it is worth do it. It's better that I do that than don't do it.
1: I would argue that faking an orgasm in almost every scenario has a detrimental effect on your sex life, certainly in the long term, because it creates a really destructive feedback loop where your partner will believe that what you're pretending works for you, is actually genuinely turning you on, so they'll do more of it. Um, Being as authentic as possible in your personal love life will benefit absolutely everybody. And that's certainly something that George sounds like he aspires to. So to try and help him with that, I spoke to a spectacular guy called Jason Domino. His story is that he actually started sex work because he wanted to make some money to support his partner who needed therapy for a, a mental health issue um so he was it was a real compassionate reason why he got into sex work um he went from doing escorting to porn one of the first recommendations that Jason made is connect with the community um, including other people who've left sex work so that George feels like there are spaces where he can talk about his past without there being any shame and to people who will understand the feelings that he's experiencing and the scenarios that he finds himself in now. Good places that he might want to check out in the UK Swarm, the sex worker advocacy and resistance movement. In Ireland there's Sway, sex worker Alliance Island. In Scotland there's Umbrella Lane. The red umbrella has actually become on a bit of an, an icon, a symbol for sex workers. Um, if you're outside the UK, looking into the Decrim Now movement or even just searching the hashtag Decrim Now is a great way to find organisations and community groups in your area.
0: But what kind of thing are they likely to be able to tell him?
1: Well, they might say things a lot like Jason did to me, which is uh, one thing that he has found helpful with his partners who are not clients are to do things sexually with them that wouldn't happen in a client sex worker environment um, for example he found it really helpful to use a blindfold because handing over that much power and trust to another person would very rarely happen yeah uh, if if somebody was um had hired you um, and also that that can help you really connect physically again with your body. I mean, this is something that we've spoken about in, in, completely different scenarios but sometimes taking away your sense of vision if you feel safe and comfy with that can help you hone in on what you're really feeling in your body Mm. and can reconnect you with the actual sensations that you're feeling.
0: I mean again we've talked about this in other scenarios as well simple things like changing the room that you're in in the house but I mean if if the place where you do your sex work looks more like a bedroom maybe don't have sex in the bedroom for a while.
1: Uh, Yeah Jason also spoke about Um, Using different forms of social capital to seduce your real-life lover. What does that mean? It's a complicated concept, but it's essentially about valuing yourself and learning to... Recognise that you are lovable and worthwhile, even when you're not performing, even when you're not using the attributes that you have that you would have used to um, to attract clients. It
0: sounds like it. So might that mean actually not going to bed so soon? Might it mean a return to sort of courtship <laughs> for a while?
1: Yeah, it might. It might mean dating. Kitty said, for her, the experience that, that she'd had in porn often required her to uh wear sexy lingerie have her nails done uh have very particular makeup in her case she had to make sure that it was moisture proof so she didn't sweat it off or it didn't you know her lipstick didn't disappear with with spunk or whatnot um and she found that being more comfy with her natural body uh letting her body hair grow out a bit feeling more confident that her partner would still desire her if she hadn't doled herself up, Mm. letting someone see her in her natural state and realising that she was still considered a desirable person. It helped her to to realise that people didn't only want her when she was advertising herself in that way. I
0: think that can be more attractive for the long-term partner as well, actually. Like, you know, feeling that you're getting someone's authentic self when they're not trying is sexy in itself, isn't it? Not to say that someone really trying to be your fantasy isn't sexy, but equally someone who is just themselves is in itself an attractive thing, I think.
1: Absolutely. And let's talk about George's partner's attitude. Because even somebody who tries to be switched on, a decent, there are so many deeply embedded misunderstandings misinterpretations and frankly stigmas about both sex workers and also gay people there's a real double whammy of difficulty that George is is facing here not to blame his partner but both he and his lover might be holding quite a lot of shame or a lot of preconceived ideas about what his sex work history means about him as a person um, exploring that together and and realising that some of the ideas that they might hold in their head are actually not true could be a really valuable experience. Doing sex work in co- in college is not an uncommon story. And as Jason points out, he made the very good point that in a lot of cases, arguably the majority, the reason that people do sex work in such circumstances is to protect themselves or their loved ones, for example, from debt. And there is nothing dishonourable in that. I get the sense from George's message that he holds so much regret and shame and disappointment and sadness about himself. And actually reassessing his past, stopping beating himself up about that, I think could do his not only his love life but his whole life a lot of good.
0: Fascinating stuff. Well, good luck with that, George. I hope that helped. If you have a question of sex for Alex Fox to answer here on the Foxhole on the Mod Man, what do you have to do with it?
1: Well, there isn't a lot of sexy work involved in this because all you need to do is go to modman with 2 endscouk and hit feedback.
0: And our thanks to The Handy for sponsoring the foxhole.
1: One thing I must point out about The Handy is when I describe like this ultimate handjob fucking machine for guys, you might imagine something really explicit, but it's actually pretty subtle as well as being sensual. Right? It looks
0: pretty. It looks like a Sonos speaker.
1: And you can find out more about it at thehandy.com where if you use the voucher code FOXHOLE, F-O-X-H-O-L-E, then we'll sort you out with free express shipping.
0: So go and treat yourself to the masturbation toy for men. Go to thehandy.com and thanks again to them. Alex, thanks very much. See you next time.
1: Cheers, my dears. And with
0: that, we have very nearly reached the end of this episode, but there is just time to appoint a new man-bassador. It is Gabe Onkiko from the Philippines who says, Oli, here are my credentials. One, I'm a musical theatre kid like you. Two, back in college, the Answer Me This albums were the first MP3s I ever legally downloaded. And three, in my proudest advice-giving moment, I channelled Alex to assuage my devoutly Christian friend's fears about having sex after her upcoming marriage. Her church t were warning her it would hurt, so God pointed her to me, her one queer friend. And I told her, communication, foreplay, lube. <laughs> okay. What well, can I say? You are ready to be our ambassador for the Philippines. Congratulations. Uh, until next time, our theme is by Django Django. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill. And we'll see you with something new on the 10th of July. Say- So retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History?
1: Well, on Tuesday, we head to the battlefields of medieval Spain to witness the very first ambulance.
0: On Wednesday, it's the anniversary of the day Coca-Cola's creator hit on his winning formula. He dropped the wine, but kept the cocaine.
1: On Thursday, the thief who stuffed the crown jewels down his trousers.
2: And on Friday, when free-spirited Danish parenting put 90s New York in a tears.
0: We discuss this and more on Today in History with The Retrospectors. 10 minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts.